Welcome to The Real Talk with Tanya Sakowitz podcast, where we help parents and caregivers gain knowledge to increase their confidence and their success in caring for young children. We will cover topics like feeding your baby, getting your baby and you some much needed sleep, and pretty much anything else that has to do with caring for babies and their families after birth. Society sets parents up to fail, and we are here to change that. You can also find full video versions of each episode on our YouTube channel, Newborn Care Solutions. Thanks for tuning in. Good evening and welcome to Real Talk, where every Sunday night we offer insight, education, and resources to in-home caregivers and those affected in their world. These are the children, the parents, the extended family, and everyone who loves them. And our goal is to offer real-life topics and learning through discussing real issues and offering real solutions. And tonight, I'm very excited to welcome our guest, McCall Gordon. Welcome, McCall. Hi, good to be here. I'm glad to have you, finally. Um, I've been wanting to chat with you for quite a while. Um, I first met McCall, was it three, four years ago now? While, yeah. 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 Um, And she is a researcher, a speaker, and an author specializing in the link between temperament and sleep. And I know you guys are going to find this really fascinating. And part of what really drew me to McCall the first time I ever heard her speak was about the fact that she researches this so in-depth and looks at research accurately. And so I'm excited to share with her tonight. She has a master's degree in applied psychology from Antioch University in Seattle with a research-based specialization in infant mental health. She also has a BS in human biology from Stanford University. She is currently a senior lecturer in the graduate counseling psychology program at Antioch University in Seattle. She has conducted and presented research on temperament, sleep, and parenting advice at infant and child development conferences around the world. She's been a featured speaker at national sleep conferences and has led webinar-based advanced training for sleep coaches, mental health providers, and others. She's also a certified gentle sleep coach in private practice, as well as the women's telehealth platform, Maven Clinic. She's recently authored a book on temperament and sleep for parents that will hopefully come out in 2023. I'll be buying it. (laughs) She comes to this work because she has had two sensitive, alert, intense children and didn't sleep for 18 years. And I chuckled the first time I heard that, but I I get it. So tonight we're going to kind of dig into this and we're going to talk about how temperament affects sleep and everything else. But McCall, before we jump into that, tell our audience a little bit about you and why you're so passionate about this. Well, I mean, it was partly due to that last sentence, right, in in the bio. It's really, really true. Um, My kids are now in their 20s. So this was, uh, you know, mid-90s when I uh, became a new mom. And back then, uh, this was, the the internet was just, I think there was a directory of websites. That's how early it was in the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So that wasn't a factor. And I was uh, really... Um, at the mercy of uh, some parenting books and lots of magazines. The magazines were where you got your information back then. Um, And I had my daughter after a very long, hard labor. And I remember them wheeling her into me uh, at, you know, whatever moment 
and her eyes, uh, she was lying on her side in her little baby burrito and her eyes were like this, like laser beams. And I thought, that's not normal. Is it? Is that normal? <laughs> it looks, it looks so odd to me. And, and from then on the whole, my whole journey was not normal, right? Nothing she did was like the books said it was going to be. And I really felt behind the eight ball. And um, I would say on some level really never found my footing completely. Um, and what I didn't realize was that I was just on a really different parenting path than other people with mellower kids. Um, so, so that really started my journey um, on really better understanding the role of temperament and how it impacts development, but mostly how it impacts parents and, and, and their experience of parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too many of us maybe just kind of, even with the best of intentions, lump babies all together. And we kind of, you know, this baby did it. So all babies should do it. And my, at least my experience has been parenting books kind of make it seem like that. Oh yeah. And so then you're asking what's going on. The what? Right. Exactly. So yeah, uh, you know, the majority of kids, so there's a great book called The Orchid and the Dandelion by Thomas Boyce. It's about the sort of biology of of a kind of a more sensitive, reactive temperament. Um, He, the, the, the orchid and the dandelion construct speaks to the idea that most kids are like dandelions. Dandelions do really pretty darn well, wherever they are, they can tolerate a lot of different environments um, and still thrive and still be okay. Then you have an orchid. And if you've ever tried to grow one, you know that they need a very specific set of circumstances. They need a lot of care and feeding. They need just the right light, just the right humidity. And if they, and it's very easy to, to, to have an orchid not do well. Um, but if they do, if you, they do get what they need, they, they're, they're incredible. So um, he talks about kids being in sort of these categories um, and the vast majority of kids are dandelions. They're going to do, they kind of roll with it. They, they kind of get on board um, stuff happens and they're kind of able to, you know, maybe stumble a little and keep moving an, an orchid kid is, is really going to react so much more strongly to everything. It's going to take much less to throw them off. And, and it's not, you know, it's not the majority of kids. So as you said, sleep books and every other book, they're talking about dandelions. They're talking about the majority of kids, not the ones out on the ends of the bell curve. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that means that all those parents are really left out. Mm-hmm. nobody's talking to them um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about temperament um, because we hear a lot of terms thrown out there. Oh, my baby has gas. Well, yeah. babies have gas. So does every other human on the planet, right? Yeah. Um, or my baby has colic, which yeah. is a whole topic I could spend hours on, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> But let's, let's talk around this. What are we talking about when we talk about temperament versus gas versus colic? What's all all this look like? Well, this is why it's good to be talking to newborn folks, because I think most people don't think temperament really shows up until much later in the first year. Mm -hmm. But if you have one of these kids that I call live wires, but the other terms are like spirited or high needs, 
even fussy. Um, some people call them dragons if they're kids that are kind of chronically, you know, struggling. Um, if you have one of these kids, you know it often right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So temperament speaks to a hardwired way of taking in the world, pr- taking in and processing stimuli from both outside and inside. It's sensations from inside your body too. So it's like a wiring system. It's like, I kind of say it's a little like a satellite dish, right? Taking in different frequencies. Um, You might have a huge satellite dish that takes in everything very strongly. And you might have a small satellite dish that only gets a couple of channels, right? Those are going to be two completely separate kiddos and two different experiences. So, um, so what we do know is that a lot of temperament can be genetic or even sort of something that happens gestationally. Mm -hmm. Um, Thomas Boyce found that more sensitive, some more sensitive kids were more sensitive in utero. So they'll play loud noises and these kids react, they move more, they react more strongly. Um, But we know that, or I know (laughs) that Um, parents who have a more alert kiddo often know it, like I said, with my daughter, know it immediately, immediately. The nurses will comment right in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, these babies don't sleep. They are not sleepy newborns, right? There's a whole different set of circumstances right out of the gate that people can often see, Um, Now, do some of these end up just being gas, you know, reflux, some other things, and the kid mellows out later? I don't, yes, probably, probably that does happen. I, I don't personally see it a lot. I think the kids who struggle, really struggle with gas or really struggle with sleep, there's an underlying sensitivity there um, as well that ends up, you know, proving sort of true. Um, the only other thing I'd say about that is there is some sort of discussion in the in the research community about sort of chicken or the egg, right? So if you have a baby that comes into the world, they're kind of unsettled, and then that prompts the parent to go to think, oh, this is a difficult baby. Then you have a pattern of behavior where the parent is shaping somehow the child's behavior. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I think that ends up being a little parent blamey, but it's just an opinion that's out there. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately as a culture, we're really big on parent blaming and parent shaming. We love it. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's terrible. And really, and really parents do think it's their fault already. You know, they think, oh, did I cause this? Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not a fan of the idea that this, this behavior comes from parents. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't buy it. I mean, partly cause I, I lived it and I, I don't, I just don't. Yeah. Right. And you know what, even if it does, even if it does, yeah. Isn't our role to support and love on these parents and help them feel more secure right. and help provide them the tools and resources they need right. to be more successful. Right. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing about saying, look, you have to look at the system that's around those parents. And I say that attribution of, oh, this kid is difficult. Now, partly, yes, 
can it come from the parents' own history, the ghosts in the nursery stuff? Yes, 100%. If that parent was called difficult as a baby, uh, yes, that's going to happen. But we also have to look at the system that's around parents. And again, going back to all the information they're reading. If all the information they're reading is talking about a mellow kid and they don't have a mellow kid, they're already not being supported by the the institutions around them or their pediatrician says, oh, this kid is just cranky or this kid is, you know, they they get information from a variety of sources. So Mm -hmm. um, you're right. It's it's our job to try to shift some of what they're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. So let's talk about this temperament. How, how does this impact things? Because you and I both know one of the number one things new parents want to know um, is what another um, sleep specialist is fond of saying, will I ever sleep again? Yeah. So how does temperament impact sleep? Well, sure. Let, so let's look at, uh, let me just take one step and say, here, here's, here are the things that I hear from parents routinely when I know what kind of kid they have. I've gotten to a point where there's just a couple of words I have to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, I know, I know this kid. I know who this kid right. is. So it's that early alertness that we talked about. Oh yeah. The nurses said in the hospital, how everybody was commenting, um, Uh, early, like, like sort of precocious uh, holding the head up, like, oh my God, she's so strong. Everybody comments. So, so early sort of motor coordination and visual coordination uh, often needs to be bounced on a ball to sleep. So it's not a baby that likes the Rocky Rocky, likes the very vigorous bouncing, which makes parents feel crazy, by the way. It really, yeah. Um, so they need really big input in order to calm down. Uh, sort of all the time alertness and awake, like this child never looks sleepy. The term there I wait for is FOMO. Mm-hmm. I have parents, I, I just wait for it. I'm like, they're going to say it. I can, I can, I know they're going to say it. Um, they'll say, yeah, she just does not want to sleep. It's like, she's afraid she'll miss something. So you have a kid that's just really engaged in faces, in things, in sights, in people, early alertness, huge. Um, and then some intensity, right? So, so the, they might say, oh, she goes zero to 60 if I don't get to her fast uh, or get to him fast. Um, uh, so intensity, alertness, engagement, um, maybe some sensitivity. Um, sometimes these kiddos hate the swaddle hate it with a passion, not all of them, but some, uh, hate the car seat, hate the car seat. Um, those are the big ones for, for newborn, um, situations. They will often also have colic that big, the horrible C word. Um, uh, and, and sort of, it is anecdotally related to a long and or difficult labor or birth. I don't know why I found it in my parent survey, um, a relationship between, um, what they thought was a difficult time. Don't know why. Um, so, so these variables, all of them, um, impact sleep. So let's, you know, think about a sleepy baby, a sleepy baby probably has a very overwhelming sense that they're tired and they just shut down. 
For most babies, they have a switch in their brain that just in that first couple of months that just powers them down when they've had too much. These little guys, little live wires seem to not have that switch. And they, they, their, their desire to be in the world overrides their internal signal that they're tired. They don't give sleepy signals. They don't conk out. They won't just sleep anywhere. So parents are thinking, oh my God, I have this newborn who's supposedly supposed to sleep all the time and is not sleeping at all. I mean, I've had people with, you know, six week old babies who are sleeping like an hour and a half in the daytime which is bananas, right? Um, So if you think about sleep, what needs to happen for sleep, if we really break it down, you have to feel sleepy. You have to have an internal sense that you're sleepy. You have to be willing to disconnect from the world and go to sleep. And then you have to kind of have the internal chemistry to fall asleep. These little alert ones don't have any of those because, and I think it's because they really are so engaged in the world Um, and they need so much help going to sleep. They're also usually really sensory sensitive, like a very thin sensory barrier. Um, And so they're the ones that need a fully dark room and us, you know, a swaddle and being bounced on the ball and total quad, you know, whatever it is, they need like everything to just fall asleep. With my daughter, I had to sit and bounce her on a ball with the dust buster running on the ground, like that loud buzzing noise. This was before white noise machines. <laughs> right. Now, years ago, I used to go um, get an old radio and yeah. between channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? I know you feel like back in the old days, when right? we didn't have white noise machines. <laughs> right? but it's true. I didn't even Now, here's the funny thing is we did, I didn't really understand what that was that helped, that was helping her. We never, once she got better at sleep, we never used it again. My son was a different kind of sensitive sleeper. Um, and uh, we, we were even, we were co-sleeping and it wasn't working. I mean that it was just, he wasn't sleeping anywhere, anyhow. And I now realized that both he and I were such light sleepers. We were waking each other up. Uh, and I now know that white noise would have helped us tremendously, but there wasn't such a thing. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think temperament impacts every, every single aspect of sleep. And then when parents experienced is so different, so different from the books, unfortunately, parents don't say, oh, these books are wrong. They basically say, what am I doing wrong? Or they have a friend whose two-month-old is sleeping 10 hours straight and theirs is waking up every hour, right? And parents take that on um, as, their resp- as their fault. Mm-hmm. They, you know, drowsy but awake, total fail with these kids. Mm-hmm. I say it's a, usually a total fail for most kids, but for these kids, impossible, impossible. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's just, uh, that just doesn't work at all. And so then you have parents who are, um, really hanging on by their fingernails and thinking they're terrible at being parents, which I think is just a cocktail for badness. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned something a minute ago, you said temperament affects 
everything about sleep mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. What, what do we mean by that? Well, the everything else is really, that's the part of it where it affects parents' self-concept. It affects their attitude towards parenting, right? So I remember reading in a, one of these parenting magazines, it said, oh, over time, you'll get to know your baby's cries and you'll figure out what they need. And when it works, you'll know you did the right thing. I got none of that. First of all, my child, my, my daughter always cried like she was being stuck with a pin. I mean, it was like, call 911, this baby is dying, right? <laughs> um, and then I would try everything and nothing worked. So then I was like, well, what does that say about me? I don't know her cries. I don't know what to do. It didn't work where, you know, the books never said what to do then. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know what to, what to try to change. Um, And so I think parents over time get, start internalizing those feelings of, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, again, in my, I did this big parent survey to look at the effect of temperament on, well, first of all, I looked for upsides of this challenging behavior, but the other part was I looked at its effect on the parents and on sleep. And the, the thing that broke my heart is that these parents rated themselves as more tired, not surprising, mm-hmm. um, but they also rated their own competence lower than parents of mellower kids. So not only were they working harder, they thought they were doing a worse job. And that's really, really common. Um, so when you have a parent that chronically is feeling like, I don't get this, I don't know what I'm doing. I think it can really lead to burnout. It can really maybe lead to some depression, some anxiety, um, because then parents are saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me go read some more books or let me go look on Instagram or Pinterest. And then that just makes things worse. Mm-hmm. So parents right now, I think, don't really have an out, a way of, of getting good information about how to navigate this particular temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, that's kind of the everything else. Because also, I think we don't really talk about parents in parenting books that much right? It's often what you do to the child. And, and it doesn't talk about like your own internal world and, and, and how are you doing right in this process? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you mentioned that because I mean, the reality is we see this, we work with new parents, but our culture does not support parents. You know, you're just supposed to know how this works. It comes naturally or pay attention and you'll learn their cries. And you know what? For some people, it does. Yeah. yeah. But I'd say there's a large percentage of parents that this stuff doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. Right. And even when you were talking about some of these babies that aren't sleeping much during the day, these are questions that even qualified care providers, solid NCS, postpartum doulas, nannies, are going, hey, wait a minute, I've never encountered a baby like this before. So this isn't even just the parents, right? you know, and the fact that culturally we do a lousy job of supporting parents, but it's even the care providers themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's you've made such a, a great point. And I think when we say, you know, it's we we tell them it's supposed we give parents a, a um, kind of a, a conflicting message. Mm-hmm. One is it's supposed to be intuitive, but also be careful because there's all kinds of ways you could permanently screw up your kid or cause brain damage or have them not be as, have them, you know, turn into uh, having weight problems or attention problem. You know, there's all these risks that you're supposed to avoid in the, right from the get-go. Every day that I talk to brand new parents, they're saying, you know, I get these parents that say, okay, my, my baby's six weeks old and I know I'm not supposed to, but I just feed her to sleep. I know it's a bad habit. And I'm thinking, who told you that was a bad habit? That that's exactly what you should be doing with a baby this age. So parents are like their anxiety level is also so high and it's not their fault. You know, we've, I, I heard somebody call it a risk society. We've taught, we're telling parents that early parenting is about avoiding risk, right? Avoiding SIDS, avoiding this, facilitating brain development, making sure you have, you know, all this stuff. And we're not giving parents the room to learn about themselves, to learn about their baby, to have trial and error, to take their time. Mm -hmm. I joke with parents, but it's also so true. I say, look, the parenting road is so long pace yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not all about sleep. Cause I think people think, oh, if I just get sleep handled, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, boy, oh boy, the view from the other end of the road is like, I, I wish I worried less about sleep. (laughs) Right. Right. So we've talked about this. We talked about this temperament. We talked about how it affects everything. Yeah. So if, I, if we've got people in our audience that are watching this and are going, that's me, that's okay. me, yeah. that's my baby, or right. even nannies, doulas, NCS going, that's yeah. the baby I'm taking care of right now. Yes. Here's the big question. Yeah. What, what, do, we, what do we do? What do we do? Yes. Well, uh, so, I mean, I love this question. So number one, temperament doesn't go away. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't go away. This is a different kid. And, and everything you're reading is, is just not going to be that way for this child. It's not you, you haven't created it. This is this unique child. And I can tell you that what's in that package of challenge are also some amazing abilities. These little guys are smart as whips. They dig in their heels. They understand more than they have any business understanding. They end up, I think, being really creative, um, bright individuals. When they're little, that all looks like chaos. So that's just true. Um, So the more help they need with sleep is they're going to need more help with sleep. It's going to take them longer to be able to achieve some of the, the, those sleep milestones um, than other kids. Um, the other idea is to really ration out your anxiety and worry, right? If there are things that you can let go of, if stuff is sustainable or it works right now, that is great. Just do it, right? Babies develop. Sleep takes time to develop. Self-soothing takes time to develop. 
And these little guys just have so much going on in their brain. It's going to take them a little longer. So what they need is they need, um, they, they need you to insist on taking breaks. If you wait for them, I, I say that I followed my daughter's cues right off a cliff. Like I, I waited for her to look tired. And I remember watching David Letterman come on and go off. And she was still going strong because I was waiting for her to look tired. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> um, um, so know what her, what their awake windows are really insist kind of say, okay, baby, you've been awake for an hour and a half. I know you look like full steam ahead, but we're going to go in and, and get some rest in any way we can. So get them rest. They act like they never need sleep and they absolutely do. Um, take breaks, uh, get a read on their sensory abilities. These little kids have sensory sensitivities and sensory strengths. So um, any information you can gather on sort of sensory processing to understand what, you know, what revs them up, what calms them down, touch, sound, sight, movement, vestibular, like massaging, things like that will be um, really helpful. I can tell you there's a great skinny little book called Understanding Your Baby's Sensory Signals by Angie Voss, V-O-S-S. -S, and I'll, I can write that down for you too. Um, that's a, it's a great little skinny book. That's fantastic for sussing out. It just has lists of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then you go to that page and you go, oh yeah. Oh, okay. I never knew that that was a sensory thing, but, but that can be really helpful. Um, uh, and then trying to watch out for overstimulation because one thing these babies do not have it, like I said, is that off switch. So once they've had too much, these little guys do not turn away. They go, it's like they, they don't know how to shut off from what's overwhelming them. So um, get really good at knowing how much stimulation these little guys can tolerate and protect it, right? D um, like, uh, I want to say dumb it down. But if you've been out at a mall and your kid is, your little tiny one is like this, know that you really need to take a break for a while and give them a, a, a moment to like decompress. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have talked about a lot of this kind of stuff. We're almost out of time already. Um, although before we started, I said I could literally just sit and talk to you all day. Um, but if you could just give our audience one kind of, if you get nothing else out of this today, get this. What yeah. would that be? I think it's still the idea that your kid is different. It's different. And your experience as a parent is going to be different from other parents. You know, this kid may be different from other kids you have in the same family. And that's just true. So don't expect your path to go in a similar way. You are really on a different path, a path. At times, a harder, steeper path, but the payoffs with these kids are, you know, they're orchids, right? The payoffs, they, these kids respond even more strongly to your efforts to do a good job. Mm -hmm. So the work is really worth it, um, but take care of yourself, get some of your own needs met because these kids make you pony up and parents do but really make sure that you have that, you know, oxygen mask fully on yourself because this, it, it is a, 
it's a big climb with these kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that even within the same family, um, in our programs, we teach about working with multiples. And I tell our students all the time, look, you could have a set of identical triplets and you could have three entirely different personality types, three entirely different levels of sensitivity, three children that, as you mentioned, what revs them up and what brings them down, three kids that it's all different things. Right. No. Isn't that strange? I know. And that, that sort of speaks, I think maybe to that gestational piece. Mm-hmm. in terms of exposure to hormones or chemicals in utero, but I don't, you know, you're right. And there's no, there's no better or worse situation. I've had people where the intense one is first and then they have a mellow one and I've had it the other way around. They have the mellow one first and then they're completely thrown by a real, or the, or the, or the intense ones, their fourth kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And so at least with that, they know it's nothing they did because they're the same parent, right? It's this kid is just different. Even the esteemed Dr. Sears, just really quick, I have to tell you the so when my daughter was five months, four or five months old, we had been reading Sears baby book. And he said, Oh, if you just do this stuff, it'll all work out great. It wasn't working out great. Mm-hmm. And we actually went and had an appointment with him to say, What the heck? Right. Right. <laughs> What the heck? Um, And at that moment, he was writing his fussy baby book because his sixth child, his sixth one was finally a more intense, alert um, little one. And he realized that his go-to strategies were not working the same for her. So um, I, you know, I thought that that was, you know, even in a big family, you can have one. Right. (laughs) Right. No, I love that. I love that. (laughs) So we're already out of, running out of time today, uh, and it always seems to work that way, but I really have enjoyed having you on and learning new things today and such great takeaways for our audience. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy to talk about this always. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to our audience, thank you for joining us tonight. If you have questions around this topic or anything related to temperament or sleep and all these other good things, put them in the feed and tag McCall or just tag Newborn Care Solutions and we'll make sure that you get answers. You can also rewatch this segment and catch any of our past Real Talk episodes along with our other educational content by going to newborncaresolutions.com and clicking on the education tab or you can go to our YouTube channel and put Newborn Care Solutions Real Talk in the search engine and all of our past episodes come up. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and have a great rest of your evening. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk with Tanya Sackowitz podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you liked what you heard, please share it on social media or send it directly to someone you think might benefit. It would also be a huge support if you could rate and review the podcast on whatever player you're currently listening on so that other people can find the content easier. You can also connect to us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok, or checking out our website at newborncaresolutions.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Real Talk Podcast with Tanya Sackowitz.